Hello and welcome to the very sexy Valentine's Day edition of the Spider-Kin Manga Review. I hope you have a beautiful partner by your side to listen to this very romantic episode. So let me get on with the warning. Warning, this podcast contains mature language, passionate, beautiful women, sexy, romantic pasts, and long-lost loves which may never be forgotten. Listener discretion is advised. And hope you have a very sexy day. Let's keep it.
episode 36. Happy Valentine's Day, listeners. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Spark and Mong Review. I'm your host, Zan. Hope you guys are having a really good Valentine's Day. Mine is meh, massive, massive. It's because I'm kind of sick. I spent the entire morning with my girlfriend and it was pretty good. It could have been better, but I really enjoyed seeing her. She made me feel a lot better. It's official. I have a fucking cold. So, my voice is going to sound a little bit out of uh, breath and a little nasally, and I apologize for that. But, you know, it's Valentine's Day, the time for love and the time for romantic things. So, without further ado, I have some, as usual with the holiday, I'm going to give you some specs on how Valentine's Day is in Japan, give you some news, and I'm going to tell you what the mystery manga is that I'm going to be reviewing for this episode in a little bit. So, let's start off with Valentine's Day, because it is that time of the year when we give presents to our significant others or people we love and we try to make them love us and care about us and not forget about us because you know february 14th is a time of year when if you have a couple or if you love someone or care about someone you want to express that love i mean surprisingly it's not a sanctioned religious holiday but you know it's that time of year when you just want to be romantic i mean my friend Marn, he's actually trying to find a place to bang his wife. It's kind of funny. <laughs> That's their romance. Good job, Martin. For the rest of you know, everyone does it differently. Some people, it's just, I'm going to write you a beautiful poem. Other people, it's, alright, I love this girl so much, so I'm going to redo her car interior and give her an awesome sound system. And then you have those guys who are just douchebags who have the beautiful girlfriend. And the girlfriend, you know, he comes up to the door in his typical leather jacket, ratty jeans, and he has a small box of chocolate which is covered in dust and a wilted flower, and he's like, here you go, baby. And yet the girl is like, oh, that's so romantic. Let me get some really sexy underwear so I can bang the hell out of you and make you scream in ecstasy for hours on end. Yeah. It's a very sexy day, and you get a lot of good vibes, a lot of happy things going on. So, you know, every culture celebrates it differently. I mean... Some people just say, oh, it's another day. Other people go completely crazy. The business industry, it's time to sell candy, sell lots of red things, toys, plushes, flowers, the whole shebang. In Japan, it's a little bit differently. It's actually pretty cool how they do it because I like the fact how it's done in Japan. Because actually, Valentine's Day is split in half because every other country or most other countries in the world, Valentine's Day, men and women exchange gifts, different gifts, and that's how it works. Not so in Japan. Japan, what happens is that they celebrate two days for love. The first day is today, February 14th. And this is the day when a female presents gifts to their boyfriends or any male really close to them. And then, in a month's time, March 14th, the favor should be returned to the ladies, which is called White Day. I told my dad this about a year ago, and he said, that sounds really racist. I was like, well... You know, I don't know why they call it White Day, but I guess that's an accurate translation. But pretty much it's a day when men pamper women, give them gifts, you know, and be very, you know, give thanks to the purveyor of their nookie or things. And so what happens is that in Japan on Valentine's Day, a lot of times women give out chocolate to the guy they like or know. And there's two different types of chocolate, really, that are given out. The first one is called Geary chocolate. And this is pretty much stuff that's bought for your friends, your bosses, your colleagues, and just close male friends, platonic friendship. And this is just, you know, 
like I said, giri is the word in Japanese meaning obligation. This is your obligation. There's no romantic associations. These are just pretty much shitty chocolate you buy at most convenience stores. And, you know, and ladies make sure that they pass the giri chocolate out to please all men close to them. Because, you know, if a guy doesn't receive chocolate on Valentine's Day, it's kind of like, no one likes you, you suck, dude! Ha 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 So, you know, there are rumors that some people actually make their own chocolate so they don't seem like assholes. Perfect example is Keitaro from Love Hina. He was an accomplished baker with chocolate because, in fact, every Valentine's Day he never got chocolate. So he'd make these beautiful, elaborate, giant cakes and things saying, oh, my girlfriend gave me this. You know, made him seem cool. But anyway, to that point... Now, if you want to give chocolate to your boyfriend, lovers, or husbands, or, you know, these ones are called honmeis. Now, these are essentially what you give to your true love. It's the person you care about, and these are very exquisite homemade chocolates that taste fabulous that you work so hard to make. And a lot of manga and anime actually represent this in a lot of things. One example was in Ranma One Half. There's an entire episode when you have the three fiancés fighting over giving him chocolate. And there's this little girl who wants to give Ranma a chocolate and has Akane delivered. And Akane's like, I don't want to give this to Ranma. He'll think I like him. Even though she's denying her feelings. Another one is, uh, what is it called? In uh, Love Hina, like I made the reference to that. The manga today, or mangas today, they have the reference about the chocolate. And, you know... It's a kind of important part of the whole thing. It's the most popular gift for this occasion. And, you know, they all the stores, festival departments, grocery stores, they stock themselves with chocolate in huge variety to get their customers in. And supposedly it's estimated that half of the chocolate sold in a year in Japan is sold around Valentine's Day. Now, White Day, as I said, March 14th, is like I said, it's when the guy okay, the girl gave him honmei chocolate or giri chocolate. So in a month, the guy has to give the girl a gift back. If it's you know giri choco, you know on obligation, you give him a shitty gift. Or if you have a girl like Tsune from Love Hina, it's like okay, I'm giving you this really shitty ten cent chocolate. I want those diamond earrings I saw in the store over there. You know you have to give him something back, and it's. The reason why it's called White Day is supposedly it's a marketing tool by Marshmallow Chocolate Companies in the 60s. Now, like I said, it's you're supposed to return gifts of chocolate to the women who gifted you chocolate on February 14th. And the color of the chocolate is generally white because of the name of the day. And, you know, nowadays it's these days, you know, men give flowers, candies, and other gifts along with the chocolate. And it's celebrated with charm and you know, enthusiasm in Japan, and it's observed that the festival is popular among young groups, especially those who are under the age of 20. And, you know, a lot of popular gift besides chocolate that, you know, the ladies give is, you know, you get neckties and clothes for the men dear to them, which is kind of meh. And, you know, it's, like I said, it's a little different, and it's a nice little spin on it for those of us who don't live on any of the four islands of Japan. I mean... I wonder how it is in... I know Europe, I've heard different things. And any of my European listeners, if you want to send me some information about it, that'd be really cool. And I just realized something completely... I forgot. Those of you who don't know, <coughs> as I should have said it earlier, this is Zan, and this, like I said, Spyrokin is a site that provides information and reviews about manga. And, you know, just giving you a little bit of information that way so you know it a bit. So... 
Um, should I get onto the manga yet? Not yet. I should get into our news because I've actually been keeping up with news. And there's only two really big things going on. The first one is kind of big. Um, the vice president of Viz actually quit. He left the company. Mark Weidenbaum left the company. He decided to move on to other projects at this time, is what the public relations director said. And this is a guy who originally was the guy who would do the initiation on what content was coming out, and he was the editor-in-chief of Shonen Jump and Shoujo Beat. And that's actually, this could be really bad for Viz, or really good. I mean, the fact that the Viz website, it currently has job openings for an editor and other positions, that's kind of bad. I mean, when they have a portfolio review and they're trying to pick up stuff from the states, that says something's wrong. I think Viz might be going under and they might be purchased out by, uh, you know, Funimation. I hope not. I like Viz a lot. I enjoyed the, their take on things. They're not going to do Tokyo Pop crap, you know. Hopefully, Viz lasts. Other bit of news is more of a not manga related, but it's kind of important. For those of you who are Hayao Miyazaki fans, the home which inspired the story Totoro has burned down. Yep, yesterday around 2.20 a.m., actually it was this morning, so 2.20 a.m., a fire broke out and destroyed the vacant Tokyo house that's best known by its nickname, Totoro's Home. And what happened was someone burglarized the place, and this was the house in the book Totoro no Sume, or the homes of, that Totoro lives in, and it's Miyazaki said that this is the house that Totoro would have enjoyed living in dearly. And supposedly the government had purchased the land. They were going to make a huge public park in 2010. And I don't know what's going on with that now. I think that's about it for news. Um, besides that, nothing much else. I mean, everything else in Zanland's pretty good. And actually, I know a lot of you are wondering, what's he going to review? What is he going to review? What the fuck is he reviewing this episode? Can't he just shut up and review the fucking manga? Yes, I'll shut up and review the fucking manga. Today is actually a really good manga, and it's a manga which I've enjoyed. And actually, it's one of the few mangas I actually own some of the original Japanese mangas. I actually purchased the last two volumes in Japanese because I couldn't wait to see what happened because it was such a cliffhanger. And this manga, which I'm going to be reviewing, Ayori Aoshi, or Truer Than Blue. This is based off of a quote from the Chinese philosopher Zun Zi, which the original quote was, Ai wa Ayori, Aidete Ayori Aoshi, which would mean, blue comes from indigo, yet it is bluer than indigo. Or, it's a play also on the word, because I also means love, so Ayori Aoshi means True Blue Love or Truer Blue Love. Um, it was originally created by Koi Fumizuki. There is a TV anime, well, two TV animes and a video game. And originally came out in 1998-2005, 17 volumes. It was originally released by Hakusensha, and it's being re been released and it's finished by Tokyo Pop. Like I said, 17 volumes. And... It is a Senin romance, sort of harem, not exactly. Let me get into it and I'll explain the situation perfectly. Okay, now, first off, 
like I said, it's a long series, 17 volumes, and I'm pretty much just going to overview the entire series because I really don't want to get too, you know, I don't want to spoil anything in it, and I just want to give you an overbearing of it. Now, Aori Yoshi is about Karu Hanabishi. He's this average, pretty much average university student who's walking home one day, and as he's walking through the subway station to go home, he sees something way out of place. He sees a girl in a full kimono, complete, has just, you know, she's a young girl his age, wearing an eerie, which is the collar, an obi, which is the sash, just the complete kimono she's wearing, which is a little odd, because everyone else is wearing contemporary clothes, you know? It's like, imagine if you're walking down your local subway station, train station, bus station, mall, and you see someone wearing 13th century clothes. It's just, it would be so out of place and confusing. And now, Kaoru is a little confused because this girl looks really just kind of lost and she trips. And immediately when she trips, she's looking, she drops something, and he goes over to be the very nice guy he is and says, Hey, can I help you? And she notices that her Hano, the her slipper, the actual the thing you tie it, like the shoelace, is undone for the for the sandal. So he actually stops and starts fixing it. And she's really appreciative of it, and he's like, It's you know, I hope this is a temporary fix, but I hope it should work. And she's really happy and just very formally says, thank you for your kindness. And he's like, okay, um, well, where are you going? You seem a little lost. And he's like, oh, I'm trying to find the line for... And she says, a prefixture in Japan. He's like, yeah, it's really easy. All you got to do is make... Go down the hall, three, you know, three sections. You're going to make a left, then a right, and then you're going to go up the stairs, and then you're going to make a a circle, and as she's sitting there going, uh-huh, uh-huh, it's obvious that she is completely lost. She's like, you know what? Actually, that's the one I have to get on. I'll show you the way. And she's very thankful, you know, so he's showing her. And she's really appreciative of him just helping her out. And so, he's, you know, he gets on the train with her, and they're talking, and she's he's wondering, what? well, why are you going this way? I mean, are you trying to meet a guy I used to know, <laughs> thinking in the back of his head, you know, there's no way. And she's like, actually, actually, yes, sir, I am. I'm, I haven't seen him since I was a little girl, and I hope he can't wait to see me. And he's like, oh, because she's beautiful. She's stunning. She has that classic, beautiful aura about her. And he's like, oh, okay, so tell me about him. And she's like, well, we've known each other since we were children. I haven't seen him in a long time, but I never forget him. And actually, funny thing is that when we were younger, my Hanno broke, and he fixed it too. And that's kind of like fate. And she giggles. And what happens is that he says, well, do you have the address? She has this little piece of paper which has his address, and it it's so worn and tied out. Like, she's held onto this piece of paper just for the life of her. Like, it's her lifeline. It's like this address is so important to her, like it's the most important thing in her life. And he decides to take pity and says, well, let me see. And he looks at it, he's like, oh, I can show you where this is. And he's like, really? Thank you. So, ends up, he takes her to this, where the address is, and what's there? An empty lot. Yep. 
someone gave the wrong directions or something's wrong because, you know, or the guy, his house mysteriously disappeared because there's nothing there. It's, it's undeveloped land. And this girl, her name is Aoi Sakuraba. I haven't said her name yet, but Aoi, she goes in a meltdown. Like, she's just distraught. Like, oh my god, I spent so much time. I, I rode all the way from home, and it's not here, and what am I going to do? And she's panicking, and he's like, okay, 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 just relax. I'll take you back to my house. I live about, you know, I, I don't live that far away from here. And you can come in, and uh, we'll, we'll figure out what we can do. He's like, okay. And so he takes her back to his small apartment, and he's like, uh, do you have anything that could really help us find him? And she's calming down. It's like, well, I have this picture from when we were younger and she pulls out this worn photograph and slides it across the table and he looks at it and he's like wait a minute that's me and out <laughs> yep as you can guess Kaoru is the little boy that she was looking for and on the paper his the address was reversed it actually had the wrong prefecture and the wrong street it said you know prefecture 2 uh, building 4 when he lives in prefecture 4 building 2 so she completely says oh my god Kaoru-sama, Kaoru-sama I found you after so long and she hugs him and is very happy and she says Kaoru-sama I've, I Aoi Sakuraba have come here to be your wife so please come home with me to the Hanabishi family yeah this is when it actually gets interesting because whole thing is that Kaoru Hanabishi is actually the eldest son of Yuji Hanabishi and he was the head of the Hanabishi Zaibatsu. Now for those who don't know, Zaibatsu is a huge giant Japanese mega conglomerate. And what happened is he's the heir to this mega conglomerate. So he's set up to take over the Zaibatsu after his father retired. However, there's two small problems. First problem is that he, his, his mom, Kumi Honjo, and his father never married. And what happened was, Kaoru's father died when he was five years old. And his grandfather, Kenichi, said, told his mom, We can provide for your son. I mean, you live in poverty. We have money. You give us your son. Take care, we'll take care of him. Raise him to be a great man. And you, he'll never have a worry in his life, as long as you give him to us. And, you know, it's no problem. And his mom just gives him, says, look, you gotta be a big boy, here you go. And the minute he gets into the Hanabishi household, it's just, they're training him to become an eventual successor, yet it's not a home for him. I mean, they're abusive to him, they're mean to him, they scream at him, and, you know, because his mom was, they call his mother a whore, because they were never married. And it's just, day in, day out, was horrible. And the moment when his mother died, which was about four years before the series starts, they take everything he owned of his mother's, all pictures, everything, and they burn it in front of him. Because, oh, she's a horrible woman. She doesn't deserve to live. And Kairu says, you know what? Fuck you all. I don't need this. You know, he's able to save one thing, which is this very old... It's when you're born, you have take the umbilical cord of the child and put it into a good luck charm. He has that good luck charm. It's the only thing left he has of his mother, and he leaves the family saying, I'm never coming back. Fuck you all. I'm done. 
and he leaves, never to return. And one of the small things is that there's another collaborate Zaibatsu, which is the Sakurabe Kimono Zaibatsu. And as you can probably guess, Kaoru's family and Aoi's family had agreed for Kaoru to read Aoi, and then what happened is that they become one uber conglomerate, and since Kaoru walked out, the marriage was cancelled, and Aoi, you know, she's in love with Kaoru, she's loved him since the day they first met, and he didn't know they were going to get married, and her family said, you know what, the Hanabishis aren't ever going to fill up the thing, so let's find another suitor. And Aoi said, you know what, I'm not going to marry someone else, and walked out and is running after Kaoru. And so, there's this whole situation where she actually does love him. And he, you know, he's confused by her. And he first thinks, oh, this is a scam for the Hanabishis to, to get me back. I don't need you. And after learning the truth, like, she really does love him. She's an innocent, sweet, intelligent girl that loves him, and he just doesn't know what to do, I mean, in the end, like I said, she ran away from home, but she didn't tell him that, she said, oh, they know I'm here, and the family's a little pissed at that, that, you know, she ran away to find this guy who's now Ronin, and so they send Aoi's minder, Miyabi, who's this older woman who's actually her, illi not illegitimate, it's her adopted older sister. I mean, she's not an heir to the family. She's just, like, her minder and guardian and teacher. And basically her best friend who's older. And her job is to make sure that Lady Aoi or Aoi-sama has the best of everything. That everything with her is good. And she thinks that Kaoru is a coward and just a runaway douchebag who just ran off. And now he has a chance to get rich. And she opposes this completely. And so after this huge thing where she tries taking Aoi home and Aoi runs away and Kaoru comes to save the day and take her back to the apartment and things are going good, Aoi's mother shows up and is like, look, Aoi, the Hanabishis, this family is done. You can't stay here. And Aoi tells him straight up, I'm not leaving him. He has no one else. I love him for who he is and... I'm not going to deny this, because this is something that makes me happy. I'm happy being Kaoru's wife. I want to be his wife. And I want to be with him. And the mom remembers that Aoi's always been this nice, subservient child. This is the first time she's actually being, no, I'm not doing this. And so she decides, I'll talk to your father about it, see what we can do. And Kaoru, take care of my little girl. So things are looking up. So about, you know... Six months later, Aoi comes back with clothing and things, and they're going to move in together and be happy. Nope. Turns out that because of the fact that she is the heir to the Sakuraba Zaibatsu, they can't really have her marry a ronin. They can't acknowledge they're in a relationship. So the families decide on this little ruse. They're going to say they're going to all live together. Miyabi... Kaoru and Aoi will live in this big house, this American style house, and say that, here's the thing, Aoi's a landlord, Miyabi's the manager of this house that they live in, and then Kaoru's gonna be just a tenant who lives there. Good idea, no one will ask questions, they'll think, oh, the relationship, oh, she's just the landlord, and he's just the tenant. So, kinda sucks for him, because he actually 
almost had a chance of having sex with this girl, and now it's kind of like, I love this girl, she loves me, but we can't have sex because older sisters there are going to kick my ass. So it kind of sucks for him. And this is when it actually gets into very harem territory because of the fact that there are these other girls who keep showing up, and because of the fact that it's a, a tenant residence they decide to stay with them and it kind of makes things more fucked up. The first girl to show up is a former friend of Kaoru from college. And when she first met Kaoru, he was depressed and sad because this is right after he lost his mother. And this is the American Tina Foster. She's a drunk, huge-titted, blonde girl who's crazy. And she has the worst American dub I've ever heard. They make her sound like a blithering idiot. I hate it. I like her in... Japanese and English meh, on the DVD, but in, you know, because I picture having a more different voice. She's very scantily clad, though. I mean, when you first see her, she looks very hot. I mean, with the. But she just got back in the country. She's living in a tent, and she sees Kaoru is in this nice giant house, and there's supposedly rooms for rent, so she decides to room a, rent a room there and try to get closer to Kaoru because she just pretends to be Kaoru's friend, but she secretly is in love with him. But she can't tell him that she's in love with him. You know, next person to show up is this girl who's part of Kaoru and Tina's photo club. They're part of a photo club with these two crazy otakus. One's an idol otaku and one's a train otaku. It's funny because he's like, I want to sit on the train and go, woo, woo, it gets me so hot. And the other one's like, oh my god, there's so many hot idols. And to this new girl, the third person to live with them besides Miyabi this girl he constantly has her dressing up in different costumes like have her dress up as a train conductor as a nurse as a bunny girl and this girl doesn't realize you know they're making fun of her and this girl is my personal favorite character in the series and she's kind of interesting uh this is Taiko Minazuki now Taiko is the she becomes the maid she ends up working for Miyabi and Aoi as their maid. She's very clumsy and she's very endowed. That's one of the jokes is she has huge tits and she's a scatterbrain. And as you can guess, she likes Kairu because he's so nice to her and doesn't treat her like an imbecile. And then the other two characters who show up is you have um, one is uh, Taiko's little cousin, Chika, who's just this energetic little girl who Kairu accidentally sees naked and she thinks that he only he could be for her. And the last one is Mayu Miyuki. And she is this little 13-year-old girl who entered into the college that everyone's going to. And she is rich. She's rich, powerful, from an English company. She's from England. And she met Kaoru about seven years ago. On a day at this benefit for her family. It was her birthday and her family kind of treated her like shit and Kaoru was like you know, he came and cheered her up and she's now infatuated with him and says, oh, I have to marry Kaoru-sama. So, long story short, the whole series is just about it seems like a harem because there's a bunch of girls after one guy. But the thing is that none of the girls except for Aoi have a chance with Kaoru because they love each other and they admit they love each other and the whole thing is they're just sneaking around because every time it's they're gonna have a chance to actually be together something goes awry and I mean halfway through the series her parents try to take her away and Aoi actually is able to save the day and 
you know, she says, look, give me one day with Kaoru and then I'll do whatever you want. And Kaoru is given the option of taking her away and they can run away forever. And he tells Aoi, no, you have to be with your family. I have no one left. You at least have a family, so see what you can do. And, well, what happens, I'm not going to tell you. It's a very elegant story. I mean, it's very harem-esque, but it is a senin. It There's a lot of serious issues in hand, especially with the whole issue of Kaoru's upbringing, because all over his back, there's severe scars. I'm not talking... And he has emotional scars and physical scars because of all the things that happened to him. I mean, he didn't have a good childhood. I mean, his grandfather was not the nicest and best of men. I mean, at the end, he's an old, decrepit man who dies, but he is a horrible, horrible man. I mean, for the majority of the series, you hate the Hanabishi Zaibatsu. Especially some of Kaoru's other relatives. Especially one character who's a major part of the later series, which I'm not going to reveal him. It gives you a lot of information about different things in the Japanese world, about relationships and hiding it, and why it's important to keep up certain statuses and things like that. The thing I like about the manga, especially though, is in the back of every single manga, it gives you information, like a glossary giving you little information about things. Like it gives you a whole section about the charms and study books and zaibatsus and an entire breakdown of kimonos and all the different instruments and things about white day and it's pretty informative um, art style I like the art style a lot and it's very provocative at times I mean there's a lot of especially in the first manga and in the last manga there's a lot of very sexy poses you see these girls in and it's kind of arousing I mean all of them are very arousing, and there's a lot of nudity, a lot of, not panty shots, but you just see full tits and ass and other things, and it's very sensual. And here's a little spoiler, I'm not going to spoil a lot, but um, there is sex in this, and it's very tastefully done. It's not like Berserk, when it's 36 panels of just hardcore sex, or you know, a doujinshi, which is just 60 pages of sex. It's tastefully done. It's really a powerful scene. For romantic at heart, it's really good. And it's a scent. It's for guys. It's designed for guys, so it has that aspect of just the sexiness and the very erotic designs and nature of it. But it has that interesting love story which keeps you compelled and interested. And unlike, say, Love Hina, where Naru beats the shit out of Keitaro every two minutes the main girl that he's in love with doesn't beat him up she's like Belle Dandy I mean she gets jealous but she cares about him and puts her man in front of her so for this I have to give it a really 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 fucking cool if you don't buy this now your brain will freeze your soul will free your soul will be forfeit to the great Zomo Gustar. <laughs> definitely worth checking out. Definitely worth purchasing. Definitely worth buying. Um, the only thing, though, like I said, since it has nudity and whatnot, it is not for anyone under the age of 18. Of course, most of my listeners are already under the age of 18, so that's not going to help. Um, check it out. Enjoy it. If your parents catch you, I don't know anything. Hmm. So I think that's it for this episode. I mean, it is a Valentine's Day episode, but wait! There is something else. Let me read the rest of this for last week's number. 
A.R. Yoshi and Boys B. You guessed it. I'm actually doing two mangas for this episode. How cool is that? So, the other thing I'm going to be reviewing is a very interesting anthology series called Boys B, which was the written by Itabashi Marashiro, and it was drawn by Tamakoshi Hiroyuki. And this originally came out early 2000 in the United States, and it was released in Japan in 1999. Originally released by Kodansha, there's currently, I think, about 26 volumes, and it is a senin, a severe senin. It's borderline etchy also. And what is Boys B about? Boys B is an anthology series. It's a bunch of little short stories about relationships. And it's from the guy's point of view. Now I know this sounds like, oh, it's like typically like any anime. Not really. This pretty much gives you situations and it'll tell you what works and what doesn't work. Uh, the first one, for example, there's it's the first is like a three part story about this guy who is a judo artist and what happens is that he breaks his arm and he ends up meeting this girl who is the complete opposite of what he is because he's a very well-mannered, polite guy who likes doing judo. And she is this young, crazy, hellion girl who goes to clubs every night and she nicknames him Andy. And his name is Hiroshi. And he ends up going to clubs and hanging out with her and he falls in love with her. And they become a couple and... It's pretty interesting. It just examines their relationship, especially when his arm heals. He wants to go back to judo, and she doesn't want him to do it. And it's kind of cool. I mean, the second story is my personal favorite. The second one in the series is about this girl and this guy. This guy likes this girl who is taller than him. He's like 5'3", she's 5'7". Really tall, big tits, and very nice. And she actually likes him. She gives him a note saying... I like you, you want to go out on Saturday, and he's happy because he's liked her his whole life, and when they go out, you know, they have a good time, and, you know, he's really happy about it, and when they take pictures and everything, she always kind of makes herself look shorter than him. It's like, <coughs> sorry, throat, trying to keep it in, but she's trying to, you know, just, she thinks he's intimidated by her being taller than him, and she doesn't want to be taller than him, like, at one point, after, like, their third date, it says, you know, they're walking down the street, and she's looking in a window, and sees these beautiful red high heel shoes, and he's like, hey, you want those? Like, no, they're nice, but they just make me taller. And what happens is that later on in the chapter, he goes to her, and they finally kiss for the first time, and he screws up. He ends up, because it's a height difference, he ends up kissing her chin instead of her mouth. And he kind of makes a joke. Oh, I guess it's because she's taller than me. <laughs> Wrong move, dude. She gets pissed off, runs away, and he realizes where he fucked up. And the next day, he goes to where she's running to school. And he says, I don't care if you're tall. I love you the way you are. And gives her a gift. And the gift, as you can probably guess, is the shoes. Which is actually kind of sappy and romantic. That's what this is essentially. It's Each story is different and goes about it each way. And every character is different. There is no 
real reoccurring characters. The only real reoccurring thing is these three guys who they keep having different fetishes every, like, three volumes. Like, the first time they show up, they're talking about, you know, how girls, if they wear soft mohair sweaters, their boobs look puffy, and if you look at their ankles, their ankles look sexy, and then the second one, it's them during you know, spring training, how girls wearing sweatsuits look hot, but what about the girls who are wearing the little tight short shorts, and then in summer, the difference between the girls who are wearing, you know, the wet t-shirts, and the girls who are just wearing the really tight string bikinis, and the girls wearing the old school sweaters, and, you know, it's essentially a fetishist manga, very fetishist. Now, I'll tell you this now, not all the guys get the girl. A lot of the guys are pricks and douchebags. I mean, there's a bunch where the guy does the wrong thing, and because of it, he gets fucking screwed. In the third volume, there's this guy who is a jerk and a putz, and he's torturing these three girls, and these three girls all ask him out on the same day, different times, and he says, all right, I'll go out with each of you. And as opposed to, and he thinks this will work, and they'll all love him, and he'll get lucky. And it turns out in the end, he fucked up. He should have told the other two he had a date and stayed with one, but it doesn't work and they pull a prank on him. doesn't work. And another one, the guy ends up being drunk and he just really screws things up and makes things worse for himself. So it just follows things on and off. And the one thing that a lot of girls like, and also some of the guys I know who read this like, is at the end of most of the chapters and most of the manga, they have what's called the twin talk. The two translators, Kathy and Chrissy Schillings from Tokyo Pop, decided to analyze it and say what works, what doesn't work, and what was interesting. Like, who is the worst coupling, who is the best coupling, who made mistakes. It gives you a little bit of life lessons so you know what to do. It's kind of cool. If you're single, it's definitely worth a buy. If you're a couple, it's worth a buy. Girls could like it. Guys, you'll like it for the fan service. Art's pretty interesting and very provocative. Some of the jokes are kind of lame, some of them are really funny, and, well, some people could say this is stroking manga, but, hey, it's an interesting manga. <coughs> and I'm going to give it a borrowed from a friend and never return unless off of Pocky. It's really interesting, really cool, really provocative, and also kind of original. Because it is, like I said, it's like a Red Shoe Diaries light, and it's for guys, not for girls. Where it sucks on is it's very repetitive. It's just, okay, guy and girl situation, they hook up or they screw up and blah. And after a while, it gets a little boring. So with those, I'd say pick and choose the volumes. I mean, if you want to get them all, get them all. But pick and choose and borrow it from a friend. Yeah. Uh, what else? I think that's about it for this Valentine's Day episode of the Spark and Monger View. I mean, unless... Well... Of course, I have my contest going on. We have the Pokemon contest, which is from last week, um, or last episode. Now, for those of you who got the original soundbite, delete the original episode 35 and re-download it, because there was a part which actually was cut off. And that was for this contest, which is pretty much by March 16th, a recording of all 150 Pokemon... You have to record yourself saying all 150 Pokemon from 1 to 151 in under 60 seconds without modifying the recording. And it's got to be tangible. You can't be like, beep, I said it, I win. i got to hear every single name. In under 60 seconds, I will play it. And what you will get is a Pokemon manga and a limited edition Pokemon card, which I found. Kind of cool deal. 
and also get props for it. Second contest is the design a promo for the Spark and Mong review. Self-explanatory. Just create a promo for us. Use sound bites. Use whatever you want. Just make it sound good. I don't care. Uh, third one is design an opening for the Spark and Mong review. People have been saying they're going to send me some openings. Should be interesting. Only prerequisite is it's got to be the warning. That's how it is. Do it in its cool style and you know just make it pertain to the ser the series that I'm reviewing or to this manga spark and review you know make it pertain to that you can check us out at spirekin.podbean.com or on myspace myspace.com forward slash spirekin we're on facebook spirekin manga review group twitter spirekin I'm on xbox live all the time uh, Zan Space Spirekin. Um, I'm just gonna pretty much rush this because I want to call my girlfriend before I go to bed because I really, you know, it's Valentine's Day and I should spend some time with her. So, anyway, guess that's about it for this episode. Um, oh, yeah, so I forgot our voicemail. Uh, our voicemail is 206 426 6665. That again is 206 426 Monk, the Monk line. Check it out. And yes, I know, I have to say it now. Because it is time for the best part of the Spire and Mong review. The one part everyone loves, regardless of listener. It's your favorite part for that one. The only. The Yes, friends, the Wheel of Manga, except no substitute. For those who don't know, every episode of the Spire and Mong review, what we do is we spin the Wheel of Manga after assigning ten titles to the Wheel of Manga. So whatever number it lands on, that's what we'll review for. <coughs> I was trying to hold it in. I can't cough, but... So, as I was saying, we put ten titles on the Wheel of Manga, spin it, whatever number it lands on, that's what we'll review for the next episode of the Spirekin Manga Review. And this list is especially interesting because, while today was very romantic and talking about things which are happy and nice, episode 37 of the Spirekin Manga Review is the anti-Valentine's Day episode. <coughs> so if you hate Valentine's Day, don't have a a girlfriend you've been cheated on or horrible things have happened listen to the next episode I should have said it in the beginning but you know yeah listen somehow so let me spin the wheel for the next episode of the Spark and Mind Review what I'm going to review and here we go Number nine, and surprisingly, for the next episode of the Spirekin Manga Review in the anti Spirekin episode or anti Valentine's Day episode, I'm going to be reviewing Monster! Yeah, I get to read about an insane Nazi! Cool! So, I guess that's it for the Spirekin Manga Review for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And as usual, I'm your host, Zan, and I am Gonsville. <laughs> So
Sunamita Sai.